shining a light on podcasts and videos that have caught our attention. The Spotlight with Jen Spiker. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the free Vision Christian Media app. Vision Christian Radio is all about connecting faith to life. From inspiring stories about the struggles we all face. To helping you understand the issues going on in the world. To clear and understandable Bible teaching. All peppered with great Christian music. The latest news. And even a few laughs along the way. You're about to experience just a small part of what we do. For the full experience, tune into a Vision Christian Radio FM or AM station near you. Listen online at visionradio.org.au Or download our free app. It's Neil Johnson with you on 2020. We're going to be talking debt over this next little while and your opportunity to participate in our conversation. You might like to let us know how you keep from drowning in debt. Do you have some perspectives that you'd like to share? Do you have a scenario that you'd like to run by our financial advisor? Now, Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose, is joining us. And uh, Alex, great to be talking to you again. Welcome along. Hi, Neil. Great to be with you. Alex, always great hearing good news about the way that your training organisation is expanding around the world. Wealth with Purpose. Uh, I mentioned that uh, you're expanding. There's South America, North America, Asia Pacific, of course, uh, here in Australia. Uh, but just how are things going with the, the way that you're sort of spreading some, uh, some love around the world? <laughs> yeah, no, look, so, so far so good. So uh, over the past uh, couple of years, we've been piloting all of our courses, uh, predominantly in Australia. Um, I myself, uh, for the most of my time, live in uh, Argentina, in South America, and so uh, we plan on launching there pretty soon. But this year, um, we're probably going to be spending most of our time in North America because it's still the largest uh, Christian market in the world, and hopefully we can get our message into the US. So I'll be there only in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, give us an idea what sort of training courses you've got in your corral. Okay, so we break it up into three different categories. There's what I would call the individual market. So what we're trying to do here is help uh, Christians to manage their money as good stewards of God's provision. So we have our flagship course, uh, Financial Freedom. Uh, it's broken up into a range of different modules, working through all contemporary financial planning practices, but based on the wisdom of the Bible. Uh, we also have courses based on life stage. So there's young adults, uh, married couples. So how as a married couple do you manage money uh, in a way that you know there's no conflict? Uh, then what I call retirement revolution is another one, which is about helping people uh, plan for retirement, but more so think, rethinking about retirement. And is it something that Christians should really be doing. Uh, then we have courses for uh, Christian entrepreneurs and helping people to create uh, thriving kingdom-minded businesses, uh, businesses that will make a, a true impact in the world uh, more than just simply profit, um, although profit, of course, is important. And then the last group we look after is pastors themselves. So what we're trying to do here is help uh, pastors create uh, generous cultures within their church. Um, when we look at the stats of giving across most of the Western world, the stats are fairly low relative to history and certainly what we look at in Scripture with the early church. So that is uh, our goal there is to try and help be part of turning that around and uh, helping pastors to 
lead and guide their members to becoming great stewards of all that God has given us. Well, we want to take some time today talking through issues to do with debt. Now, debt is just one element of what you might describe as a very broad financial science on how you deal with that. And great to know that you're coming from a perspective which is a biblical foundation, because if you don't come from a biblical foundation, all you have is uh, theories about how finance works. And of course, uh, it is all very complicated which is why we need to continue to deepen our understanding about these things. But let's come to this issue of debt. And I've been talking about people drowning in debt and the potential for a lifeline. And I know that we're going to be giving some level of, uh, of hints and tips and those sorts of things. But you like to talk about scenarios, don't you, if there's uh, issues to do with debt and people feel trapped. Uh, I want to encourage those listeners to make the call and uh, run those scenarios by you. 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. Uh, so as we get into this conversation, Alex, uh, tell us about debt. Uh, look, you can talk globally, you can talk personally, you can talk family, uh, but why is debt such a, a major problem for our societies? Yeah, well, what's happened really over the last sort of 40, 50 years, we've gone through almost a sort of a cultural revolution where debt has gone from being something that was really largely shunned or used on a very, you know, basis that where it was really only if you really needed it. It's now something that's been completely embraced and where it's saturated all different levels of society. So by that, I mean uh, households. So us as uh, individuals borrowing to buy uh, houses and cars, then at the business level, but even more concerning at the government level. So this, in, in some senses, it's, it's not new to society throughout uh, all of history, but it is in a phase at the moment where we've got to record levels. And that's what should concern um, the average Australian, uh, because eventually the debt needs to be repaid. And of course, when your debts get so large, as they are in many parts of the world today, um, including here in Australia, it becomes more difficult to do so. Um, of course, in Australia, we all know there's unbelievably high house prices. And what that's caused is um, for many people, particularly young people wanting to get into the market, um, they've had to borrow very large sums of money. And it's quite deceptive in, in one sense because interest rates are so low, it's very easy to get money, uh, money is cheap. Um, but of course, the problem becomes when that turns and interest rates start rising. Now, that's hard to know when that will actually take place, but that's when debt will become a big problem for society. Um, but that's at the household level, but you could look also at the government level. And if I can use an extreme example, uh, the country of Japan. Uh, Japan has so much government debt today that roughly a third of its government budget goes towards just servicing the interest on the debt alone. So if you just imagine for that at the moment, if, and that's with interest rates, by the way, at around 1%. If interest rates went to 2 or 3% in Japan, essentially all of the government's revenue gets consumed just with interest repayments. So it's a, that's at the government level. Um, and in the United States, which is nowhere near as bad as Japan, uh, as a country, they owe $60 trillion. So um, as I say, it's, all of this has been building over a very long period of time, uh, about 40, 50 years. And uh, we're now getting to the point where not only are households struggling, but governments themselves are. And we've seen that with Greece and, and other parts of the world. So it is a big problem for our society. 
So essentially you're saying that attitude changes uh, some decades ago uh, have caused debt to become something of a normal issue, whereas it wasn't considered normal. Some might argue, though, that uh, having adjusted the way we deal with finances and debt being part of that is the way that we've taken big steps forward uh, technologically, uh, big steps forward with the sort of asset base that we do own, given there's uh, ways that assets increase in value and talking about property and things like that. Uh, but uh, but you're also reflecting on a downside there that the attitude change has actually made it more difficult for uh, for some. So you've you've got this sort of difference then between those who are wealthy and those who are poor, and people talk about that gap from time to time. Uh, so debt, you're saying debt is part of the cause of the way we we have to deal with these problems. Yeah. Well, so what's what's really happened culturally is we've gone from a society that we used to save and invest to a culture that is borrow and consume. And that's what really needs to change uh, and, and turn back. There's now sort of this implicit cultural assumption that for us to get ahead, uh, we need to continue to borrow. So debt has become, if you like, very normalised. In fact, there's a great quote from a, a US author where he says, debt today is regarded as normal, harmless and necessary. And when you think about those three words, I would argue that uh, the vast majority of people believe either one or all three of those are cultural assumptions. Uh, most people say debt is normal. You know, they'll say, well, look, well, everyone's doing it. Most people have a credit card. It's just normal. Then there are others who will say it's harmless. Well, you might find those who have been through tough times and have defaulted on debts and so forth would give you a different picture. But probably the last one is that debt is necessary. And this is, a, I think, the real deception is that we need debt in order to get ahead. As I say, um, that's because we've got a culture now that says to borrow and consume. And almost uh, that the only way to get ahead, even investing in, in, say, real estate, is you borrow to invest. Um, I think we need to actually flip that on its head and go back to the biblical model, which is one of, uh, you know, thriftiness, saving and investing rather than borrow and consuming. And so we need to change that sort of cultural assumption. It's uh, going to take time because, uh, you know, these days we're bombarded with the, the mass advertising uh, lending standards today are much much lower, much, much easier to get money and so forth. So there are some things that need to happen for this culture to change, but that's something certainly as Christians we, we need to reflect and say, is what our culture telling us about debt the right one? And I would certainly argue that it's, that it's not at this point in time. Interestingly, Alex, if you're doing well, if you've got some debt and your assets are increasing in value and you can meet uh, those mortgage repayments or those debt repayments okay and you feel as though things are going well, you're probably inclined to be dismissive of the idea that there might be biblical principles around debt. But when the crunch comes, uh, when the debt becomes too big, when you find that you are then drowning in your debt, I guess that's when you are more inclined to think clearly about what the biblical principles might be and whether God's wisdom on finance actually has real value. Do you find that uh, that uh, people who are usually seeking out some help are people who are usually, uh, where things are not going well, when they are beginning to drown in debt, when they uh, feel as though they're out of control? Uh, absolutely. As I say, um, with the, the culture being the way it is now, um, it's not until people get into trouble and say, for example, they lose a job, that they realise that actually that debt, the bills are still still keep rolling in, uh, the, the mortgage repayments continue. And a, a large mortgage may have been easy 
um, when you had a, a job, but it becomes much, much more difficult when you're out of work. Um, but the other thing around that is that um, in our culture now, because we've become such big borrowers rather than savers, uh, we don't have much left in the way of saving. So, for example, if you do lose your job, there's often very little money left over um, as an emergency fund. So, and interestingly, a survey was done by ING Bank a few years ago where they said that the average Australian would be broke in just six weeks. Uh, in other words, they'd run out of money. Um, so they may still have the mortgage to, to repay, but they've run out of cash available to do so within just six weeks. Uh, and those stats are similar in the United States. Um, but this is where, the, if you like, the biblical principles become so important. Because the biblical principles, are really, when it comes to debt, the messages about debt in the Bible are really all warning messages. So they're, they're pretty much saying to us, look, uh, debt can lead to slavery. That's the, that's the big warning message from Proverbs. So if you take on too much debt, it can really lead to you being enslaved. And I think often when I reflect on, you know, talking to friends and, and listen to what they say, many of them are paying 50% of their income or close to it uh, in mortgage repayments. Um, and that's with interest rates at record lows. You know, what would happen if interest rates went up to 7 or 8%? they'd be really, really stretched and really enslaved. And this is the trap. While interest rates are low, it's very deceptive. It's very money looks easy to get. It looks easy to repay. But then interest rates rise and all of a sudden you're enslaved. So that's where the biblical principle of um, trying to avoid debt becomes very, very sound. Um, incidentally, debt is not sinful per se. It's not sinful to have debt. But it is important that we realise that the messages in the Bible are ones of warning and trying to help us live debt-free lifestyles. Um, in fact, when you look at um, the Bible and the things throughout history, such as the, the building of the tabernacle, the building of the temple, God never used debt to do any of those things. It was all dependent on the generosity of, um, of God's people, which I think is a good message for pastors because many pastors these days, when they think about their church buildings and so forth, they think about borrowing money um, to do so. And I strongly uh, warn against doing that uh, in this current environment that we find ourselves in um, because God's people can provide that money. That money more than likely is there and ready. It's just a case of um, showing people um, how to live lives that are generous rather than relying on debt. Um, debt is very tempting because it, it often solves a problem very quickly, um, but it has a long-term cost attached to it. So those biblical principles are very important here, both at the church level, but also for individuals. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. When we're talking money, we're talking debt. Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose, is our guest. And you can be a part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. In fact, Alex, let's take a call from Crystal in Queensland. Hello, Crystal. Oh, hi, Alex. Hi, Neil. Hi. Well, hi, what's, uh, your, what are your thoughts, Crystal? Do you have a question or a comment? I'd love Alex's thoughts on my question. I've just been listening and my husband and I are completely on board with all your principles about debt. And it's actually very timely that God got me to turn the radio on this morning to talk to you. Um, we're actually making a move next week and through God's provision, we've been able to buy our house in our rural town um, completely debt free. So we own it outright and we're about to move to a regional area 
and we've started looking for a rental property, but through our searches, it's turned out that with the current interest rates, it's actually cheaper in this area to buy a house. And I was wondering what your perspective on that was. Look, that's actually a, it's actually a great question because this comes up all the time, and that is, should I buy versus should I rent? Um, there's a couple of uh, things I break up into this. As I say, one of the big challenges at the moment is that interest rates are very low. You can borrow in Australia for around sort of four, four and a half percent. Um, and that is very low historically. Uh, and therefore, there's a temptation to borrow and often pay almost too much on a, on a house. Um, and so you need to be careful here in two ways. One is that you don't overpay for a property if, you, if you're going to buy it, um, just because the, the, the ease of getting the money is so, is so easy these days. That's the first thing. And the second thing, and this is a big test that I would, I would put to you, is if interest rates were to rise, say, 3% above where they were today, what impact would that have on you and your husband in terms of your cash flow? Could you still afford to service the debt if interest rates were um, 3% higher? And you can actually go on to um, bank websites and it will actually show you the change in the repayments if you were to borrow money, but at that higher rate. So I would work on the assumption that you're going to make um, high, that you're going to have to pay higher rates in the future, because if that's the case, then renting may well be a better option um, until you have more money, as in more money for a bigger deposit, so you borrow less. I think the challenge today is banks give money away so easily that you only often need a deposit of five to ten percent, and therefore. Um, people borrow far more than they should. I would argue you need to have a a bigger deposit, so around the 20% mark, but I'd also say um, don't borrow so much that you can't afford it on much higher interest rates than today, so let's say at least 3% above where they are today, Uh, and make sure you don't pay too much for the property because um, Australian real estate is very high by historical standards, particularly on what we call price-to-income ratios. So that means... The, re- the price of the house relative to people's incomes in those particular area. Uh, but the, the, the golden rule I think that you should apply uh, to all of this is that your repayments shouldn't be more than 30% of your disposable income. That's a rule to stick to. Uh, and that way you're not going to put yourself under any, uh, any significant financial pressure. Crystal. So, uh, I hope that gives you a few ideas. Yeah. Crystal, uh, just while I've got you on the phone, you've moved to a rural town. Which town are you moving to? Um, we're actually in Quilpie. We have a relay service division in Quilpie. Okay, well, Quilpie, uh, way out west of uh, of in Queensland, western Queensland, yeah. and, and I guess uh, pretty dry and pretty hot where you are, and I suspect that real estate prices probably not as big as they might be in a coastal town or a city. Yeah, we were really blessed. I moved out here as a teacher, and was able to buy a house debt-free um, at really low prices, and it's doubled in value in the time we've been here. So we're very blessed to have the equity to be able to now move to a bigger centre. Well, Crystal, thanks so much for your insights and your input today, and great to hear yeah. from you. You are calling from Quilpie, is that the case? I am. Okay, wonderful to hear from you in Quilpie wonderful. in Queensland. Thanks for your counsel, Alex. No problem. All the best. Bye. Well, uh, interesting one there too, Alex, because uh, for one uh, one scenario of moving to a country town where you can afford to buy a house and get it outright and own it, uh, it takes all the stresses off. But if you're living in one of the big cities, if you're living in Sydney or Melbourne, there's there's almost uh, no way that an ordinary wage earner is going to be able to afford to buy something uh, outright. 
That's true. The only comment I'd make to that, and where I think people need to be careful, um, particularly when I had my financial planning practice, I had clients that had a lot of property in, in rural areas. Um, and whilst it's very attractive in the sense that the prices are much, much lower, if you can buy it debt-free, fantastic. There's a non-issue. If you do have to borrow, though, and you do find yourself in a situation where you, you lose your job, um, often real estate in those rural areas and even mining towns, mining towns at the moment are struggling, but certainly in rural areas in general, they're very illiquid. So what I mean by that is it often takes much longer to sell. I, I had clients that would take... Um, between one to two years to sell their property, which is very problematic if you have a mortgage that you're trying to service and you don't have a job. So whilst it's very attractive because it's cheaper, um, this is where the borrowing money in many respects should be even lower because of the fact that it's much more illiquid. So one of the rules of investing, investing 101, is always consider how you can uh, get out of something. In other words, how can you get out of a particular transaction uh, in the event of that you need to sell it. So that could be applied to the share market as much as it does to real estate. Uh, and rural real estate is, is often very liquid. So you do need to be slightly careful uh, in borrowing to buy in rural areas. Well, we're not too far out from the news and we want to continue our conversation after the news. And so uh, the talkback line remaining open on 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to contribute to our conversation today, we want to get into a conversation about alternatives to debt. Because if you're taking a biblical position here, Alex, uh, alternatives to debt are going to be important. Uh, What is uh, Just set us up for what we might talk about uh, in the next hour after the news. Uh, Why is it important to actually consider these alternatives? Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is the thing. Many people uh, see debt as a necessity when, in fact, it's not. The, the big major alternative, of course, is saving. But that's what I'd say is something in, in the natural. But more in the, in the spiritual side of things, if we think about um, a particular Bible passage that I love, and I'll let, let me uh, read it to you because I think it will really help people uh, to understand uh, the true character of the God uh, that we love and serve. And he says this in 2 Corinthians, it is. And so it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says... Alex, I might just hold you up on that and we'll get into that uh, Bible uh, scripture in the next hour as we kick off because uh, we're going to go to news. And uh, for those who want to look it up, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, that's the one you're referring to? Okay, we'll be back continuing our conversation. We're talking about debt and a lifeline for those drowning in debt. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. We're back with more after the news here on 2020. Uh, What do you do to keep from drowning in debt? We're talking somewhat about attitudes uh, to debt this hour too. Alex, uh, last hour we were talking about the uh, scripture 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8, talking about the wisdom of God when it comes to debt. Uh, Give us a a hit. What is that that verse all about? Okay, well let me just, uh, the one sentence, I'll I'll read it out because I think it's really powerful and really should excite people about the alternative to debt, and that is God's provision. So let me read it. It says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So in other words, we serve a God who is able to provide. He has an abundance. He has a surplus. He has more than enough in order to meet our needs. And particularly in this passage, it uses the word, all three times it says all things 
all times and in all, all that you need. And I often wonder if we, you know, we truly believe that because it's such a powerful passage of God's ability to provide for us and to meet all our needs. Now, I emphasize the fact that it is our needs as opposed to all our wants. But the great thing about this passage also is that it talks about, uses the word abundance. Now, abundance means more than enough. In other words, God gives us uh, sufficient funds to meet our personal needs, but so that there's a surplus that we can use to carry on the good work that God has for each of us. And that could all be you know, different things uh, to, to each of us, for some helping the poor, some for helping ministry such as you know, vision, some for, for helping just fund the Great Commission around the world. But either way, God is able to bless us abundantly because he is a God of provision. So to me, that's a really powerful and exciting uh, message for us Christians to, to take on board. And when we talk about borrow and consume uh, and the alternative save and invest, uh, interesting when you were quoting scripture there and uh, the idea of uh, a flash of light and all of a sudden there's a big pile of money in front of me and uh, I'm <laughs> feeling blessed by God. It doesn't necessarily work like that. Some people do get these wonderful testimonies of God's provision in miraculous ways like that. But for the majority of us, uh, perhaps uh, God's blessing comes to our finances through our attitudes towards how we deal with money. Is that is that a fair enough comment to make? Oh, completely and uh, completely agree and um and that's in some senses i guess the danger of passages like that where some people can just assume it's a, a pot of gold theory but i think um when we look at all the the passages on money and we we look at them all uh, you know together we can then come to the conclusion that god not only will he provide but he also gives us the principles to live by so that you don't have financial problems in the first place so in other words it's a mindset first and foremost uh, and then it's practices that we can put into place. Um, so going uh, away from that sort of worldly borrow and consume mentality towards the you know the biblical save and invest mentality um, by applying uh, those biblical principles. Um, and in fact, for the for the purposes of the listeners, one thing I would really encourage people to think about is to try and save. 10% of your disposable income. That should, I think, be a, a good goal for everyone. Um, so if you think about your monthly disposable income or if you're paid weekly or fortnightly, depending on how, how, how you get paid, try and allocate 10% of that money towards long-term saving. Because when you do that, you are, you're applying a biblical principle of, of saving and you're setting aside money for the future when it's needed be it for, you know, purchasing uh, a place to live or for, uh, you know, funding an emergency or just saving towards, um, you know, retirement, which because uh, we're all living longer is something that we need to obviously uh, factor into our finances these days. Now, I know you like uh, easy-to-understand equations uh, and the way that uh, you can do a breakdown of your income. You mentioned uh, saving that 10%. Uh, do you have any sort of way that you you talk about how you ought to be breaking down your income uh, to try and yes. contain this sort of uh, level of debt that can get out of control? Yeah. So, look, I, I work on the assumption that if we took someone's income, you should try and live first and foremost on 80% of your income. The question is, what happens with that 20%? The first thing is 10% for giving to God. So giving towards uh, your church, uh, giving towards uh, ministries and so forth. And that's a starting point, by the way, not a finishing point. So giving to God should be the number one thing in your budget. 
that's the first thing. The second thing is the 10% towards long-term saving. And then, of course, the question becomes, well, what do we do with that other 80%? Well, my view with that 80%, um, 30% of the total, as in of 100, um, that 30% should go towards accommodation costs, uh, be it renting or paying a mortgage. Anything above 30%, you're really starting to have a, a negative impact on your lifestyle, uh, on your ability to, to give. Uh, if interest rates rise, then it, that would um, become even more of a problem. And of course, saving for the long term. It's unlikely you can give 10% and save 10% if you're spending more than 30% of your income on accommodation costs. As I say, it doesn't matter if it's renting or mortgage, the same principle would apply. So that gives you a bit of an idea as to how to, to split it up. Alex, I want to get into uh, some how-tos, how to get out of debt in just a, a few moments. Uh, but when we talk about debt, uh, debt, one of those things, I guess, if you have sleepless nights, if you want to be able to sleep at night, uh, one of the things, I guess, to uh, get in place is your capacity to be able to have some level of control over your finances. Debt is like the snowball that can get out of control, isn't it? So uh, the idea of stress and our finances, this is very much related, isn't it? Very much so. I mean, uh, it's one of what I call one of the dangers of debt. Debt, uh, on face value, it's something we can rush into and uh, embrace with gusto. But it's only afterwards we realise, oh, hang on a minute, this one could cause a lot of stress on me personally, on my uh, relationships. So a lot of marriages um, break down these days, unfortunately, uh, due to uh, the level of debt that people have, um, simply because they're under so much pressure that you know they feel like they're always spinning their wheels just trying to make ends meet. So debt is something that can become very dangerous. It also flows into other areas of our life whereby people live sort of fictitious lifestyles uh, because of the debt they have. You know, they borrow uh, to buy cars that really they can't afford, but they do it because they want to look successful. So that is often grounded in identity issues where we get our identity from what we have rather than from who we are in Christ. So uh, debt really flows um, both into into the material sense of life, but also uh, into the spiritual side of life as, as well. Well, let's spend a little time talking through the practical aspects and uh, great to hear that breakdown. Uh, live on 80% of your income. You're talking about 10% to give to God, uh, an important element of our finances when you take a biblical Christian perspective on how you deal with money. And then that 10% uh, to save and invest. Now, when anyone does a budget, and I've noticed this in my own family uh, over the years, uh, when we do a budget, sometimes the expenses are so great uh, when you compare them with the uh, the income uh, that it's very, very difficult to actually get that 10% to save and invest. And it seems to be that it's easier to borrow and get what you need now rather than wait. Uh, give us some insights and some, uh, some ideas about just uh, this attitude that we've got to be able to have to keep control. Yeah, look, uh, look. It's, it's the problem with debt is it's just such an enormous temptation uh, with these days. In fact, one thing I really notice every time I come to Australia um, from Argentina is this new pay wave thing with your card. You know, you walk into any store now and you can just uh, tap your card against the uh, the electronic machine. So it just becomes so easy 
to spend money uh, and do it so unconsciously that, um, <laughs> that it's become much, much harder. Um, but to come back to this issue of how can you get a control of your cash, um, as, as you rightly pointed out, you need to start with a budget. You need to first come to a point of awareness of where your money is actually going to. That's the starting point. Um, and then really asking God, God, what lifestyle do you want for me? Because I think often in, in Western culture today, uh, there are so many distractions. There's so many ways we can spend our money. We need to get back to, to simple living and really ask ourselves, um, before we make any purchases, God, is this something that you really want for us? Um, do you really want us to take on this big mortgage? Do you really want us to buy this car? All those sort of things, we need to become a lot more intimate with God and involve him in our decision-making process. Because so many people these days, they take the easy option, and that is they put on the card and so forth and think about the consequences later when it's too late. And so we really need to get back to the basics, become aware of how we're spending our money and really seeking God um, for any major purchases that we're going to make uh, to make sure that we don't borrow too much money. Um, and I would actually go one step further and argue that Christians should really be aiming to live a, a debt-free lifestyle. So that, that way, um, when they're dealing with their budget, they're only dealing with money that they've actually got rather than dealing with money uh, that they have to repay and putting themselves under all that uh, significant pressure. Um, but doing a budget is a great place to start. It'll bring you the awareness, and then you can work your way through it and say, look, God, do I really need this? Maybe not, so you can cut some things out. This is not about becoming stingy or anything like that. It's just about taking a really uh, pragmatic approach to managing your money. So you can say, right, I need to save for the future, and it may well be that 10% is too difficult to start. Even if you're saving 1% or 2%, that's a good start. And then next month, you try and boost it up to 3 and 4 and just work your way up rather than trying to uh, do it all at once. It's, it's mainly the idea, though, that you have uh, the right process in mind and that you're starting to take action and working towards um, putting that uh, model into place. Alex, let's see if we can come up with a simple process by which we can get our finances into context, get our debts into context, so we know what we do to, to try and deal with those. Uh, is there a, a, an easy format that we can follow to actually uh, to make a difference with our own financial management? Absolutely. So if we think about um, our debt, the first thing to do is make a list of all your debts so that for most people that will be uh, things like credit cards or their mortgages. And what we want to do is list those debts in, in two particular ways. One is in smallest to largest. So the smallest ones at the top and your largest debts down the bottom. Then the second way to do that is also to do it based on interest rates. So the highest interest rates one at the top though and the lowest interest rate ones at the bottom. And when we think about then how we're going to pay all these debts off, the best thing to do is start with the smallest debts first. And the reason for that is simply because we want to have a sense of achievement and a sense of gaining momentum that, yes, we can do this, we can pay off those debts. Often the smallest one will probably be your credit card, but it'll also probably have the highest interest rate. So it's very important to try and get rid of your credit card debts uh, as quick as possible. So you work your way through the list of smallest down to the largest. And for most people, the largest one will probably be their mortgage. And the good news is that is also the um, uh, the lowest interest rate as well. So it doesn't need to be paid off as quickly or as 
greater priority. Another option to think about is consolidating your debts, and that is putting them all into a low interest rate loan rather than having one uh, loan with 18% and another one with 6%. Potentially consolidate them into one loan. Now, the only a few little disclaimers here, a lot of the banks, for example, have credit card offers where they'll say, right, you can transfer your debt from one card to another and it's a 0% balance transfer. So on face value, it looks very attractive. You're getting rid of um, the, the interest repayments on that credit card. But what the banks do is if you were then to go and spend new money on that credit card, they'll often uh, charge you interest straight away when you go and make um, additional spending on that new credit card. Because what will happen is when you start paying down that card, they'll take it off the new money, uh, sorry, off the old money that's already on the card that you've transferred rather than on the, the money you've just spent it on. So you thought you were actually transferring and not paying any interest. But as soon as you start spending money on that card, you'll incur interest straight away. So be very careful with credit card consolidation offers. Okay, so um, consolidating debt's important. And uh, there's another point you've got in here. Uh, consider selling assets that you don't need. Uh, how important is it to just free yourself up from things that are probably costing a lot of money? Absolutely. So have a look at your assets and say to yourself, do you really need it? You might, for example, have two cars, but you think to yourself as a family, well, look, we can get by on one car. Uh, we've got sufficient uh, value of one car to actually pay off the, the debts on it. So why don't we get, get rid of it and lower, lower our household expenses and just live off that one car? It may well be you have other assets such as cash. You may have shares and other things that it's worth considering selling those and getting rid of the debt. Um, and therefore, you're not going to be paying interest because interest that you're paying to a bank is essentially dead money. So have a look at the assets and say, look, do we really need this? Is this something we could live without? Do we really need that boat? Or, um, uh, and can we actually uh, get rid of that asset and pay down the debt? Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you and Alex Cook, our guest, founder of Wealth With Purpose, wealthwithpurpose.com. We're talking about getting those debts under control. Interestingly, Alex, we worked our way through something of a process there and a really valuable process. You mentioned listing all your debts, uh, smallest to largest or highest rate to the lowest rate, and then consolidating those debts, uh, getting rid of those assets that you don't need, uh, and then, of course, uh, getting back into getting that budget and holding to it. The interesting thing, though, is uh, it doesn't matter what process you come up with. If you haven't got the right attitude, uh, you're not going to stick with it, are you? Yeah, it's absolutely right. I mean, we need as a uh, culture really to um, embrace this idea that debt is something that we should try and avoid and really only use it um, sparingly. It's not something that we should be using on a, a day-by-day basis. I would argue that Christians should aim to live a debt-free lifestyle. I know for some people that may sound hard and a big stretch, particularly in a culture um, that is so heavy on home ownership and so forth. Um, whilst I think uh, things like home ownership is actually a very good thing, uh, I think we should try and find ways of living a debt-free lifestyle. And often that may mean starting smaller and then working our way upwards a bit more slower than we otherwise would have liked, just through saving and investing rather than through borrowing. So it's really just getting that mental shift um, to become a saver rather than a borrower. 
And uh, interestingly, that none of those marketing campaigns you're going to see on the television uh, from the banks or from any lenders are going to make it look like it's anything that needs to be of any concern, that it's dangerous. But uh, interesting to come back to what you were talking about earlier in our conversation. There's a a warning that that continues and there's like a flow through those scriptural foundations. It's about warning about debt, isn't it? Exactly. Um, as I say, the, the Bible's position on debt is not that debt is sinful, but more that it can lead to slavery. And that if we borrow too much money, uh, that we run the, uh, the risk of putting ourselves into a position where we're enslaved, if you like, to the world system. Whereas in reality, we can actually live quite financially free um, by choosing to, A, pay off our debts very, as quick as possible, but also to uh, potentially avoiding debt in the first place. And I know, as I say, that's a big mental leap for some people. Uh, my wife and I now have chosen to do that for many years. and uh, We choose to live an absolute uh, debt-free lifestyle, and it's uh, fantastic. A lot less stress on our marriage, I suspect, than, than, than many others by having made that very deliberate choice. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a powerful thing to live... Um, the biblical model and really uh, avoid all the stress that can be uh, so easily avoided just by uh, living a debt-free life. Alex, uh, mentioned the website wealthwithpurpose.com. What sort of resources can people find if they do visit your website? Well, look, it's a great question because the good news is uh, at the moment, if you were to go there, you can sign up for our our newsletter and uh, receive that. But in two weeks' time, I'm pleased to say that we are launching a new site and nine of our courses will be up on that new site. And what effectively this means is that anyone anywhere in the world will be able to access those courses, uh, watch the uh, the videos. Uh, they'll be able to download the worksheets, the uh, the budgets. The uh, there's tons of tools on that that you'll be able to access directly through the site. Uh, it's done in such a way that it, it meets your needs based on where you're at uh, and also in the way that you like to consume content. So, for example, if you don't like watching videos for very long, we've got a, an express course where you can just do five minutes a day. So you can just watch uh, 30 videos over the course of a month and they're only five minutes each. On the other hand, let's say you're a church and you want to run uh, these courses through your home groups. Uh, we have uh, modules that roughly last for about 30 minutes each and you can watch those in your home group uh, through your church. And that way, um, it does, it's the content designed so people consume it in, in different ways and uh, really helps to meet them where they're at in their personal financial uh, situation. Well, Alex, great getting your insights as usual, and we'll do this again as the year gets well and truly underway, pointing people to that website, wealthwithpurpose.com. Alex Cook, the founder of Wealth With Purpose, and expanding into so many other different places, uh, South and North America, Asia Pacific. Alex, thanks for being with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil, for having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.